Welcome to Live, Laugh, Murder. Today's episode is a bonus one, which we've typically been reserving for our special guest spots. The lovely thing about having your own podcast is that you get to bring your friends on the show. So Joanna, who do we have today? Yes, these are my childhood friends. They grew up across the street from me. And when I asked them if they wanted to do a podcast, they were like, uh, yeah, when are we doing it? This is Dolly. Hey, I think you heard of me on previous podcasts that yes. I was a super fan. <laughs> A super fan. And this is Michelle. Hey, we've heard your names quite a few times because of our friend Joanna, my friend Joanna, your friend. But I need to know, spill the tea. Do you have any good stories about her? <gasps> oh, we have all the stories. I mean, this could be a whole episode. It could be. <laughs> Still in the dirt on Joanne. Uh. Well, when Joanna's friends found out that she was going to be bringing her things to record up to Michigan because she travels every summer there... That you know, I heard from a little birdie that they said they wanted to be on the show, and I was like, immediately, yes, 100%. So, welcome. Yes. I'm glad you guys could join us. And if you think of a good story to rat out our girl, please let me know. I want all the secrets. No, or uh, we'll never be friends again. Well, I got you to say the F word on a recent episode, Joanna. Well, so, because you insulted me by my I, age, did I? Yeah, you said like the uh, 1958, the year you were born. I don't recall. <laughs> it was. <laughs> It was the Lake Lanier one. Literally just went out last week or this week. Whenever this comes out, who knows? Well, today we are doing campfire style. Our last campfire stories was our Halloween episode number 20, which we had Amy and Molly on. And the point is that we just kind of go around the table and share a story of our fucking choosing uh, that is fitting to a horror movie and true crime podcast. So it could be anything. So we told Michelle and Dolly, whatever you want to do. Bring it. Yeah, Michelle isn't really prepared, so <laughs> Michelle's going to be a commentary. <laughs> Come prepared to commentate. Mm -hmm. Michelle has a, a child that is in baseball and is very busy during the weekends and very busy during the week. So the fact that you made it to a recording with three people in one room and me over here in Florida is amazing. So I you know, cheers to you. Dolly has a story. Michelle is a commentator. We welcome right. you both and we love you both. All right. So are we ready to kind of jump in here? Do we have to catch up on anything or are we good to go? I don't know. I, oh, we do have something new. Hello. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Share the news. The news is I got banned. I got put in Instagram jail today. So I run the Live, Laugh, Murder Instagram. Me, Carmen. Hey, hello. It's me. I made a brilliant post. Brilliant. Off the top of my head. It was something along the lines of, it's not that brilliant, but whatever, I digress. It said, basically, you go missing, and <laughs> the last show you watched is your search party. So my friend Katie commented that she was watching Jersey Shore, and so I replied, the situation would <laughs> definitely take charge, and she tagged Mike, and guess who responded? Mike the situation. Oh my gosh. Yeah, he did. So wait, 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 wait. So I got to tell you his, his fucking comment that he says, the investigation is always on duty. <laughs> and when I fangirl and go to like share it to my Instagram and I tagged Mike and DJ Polly D because I said in my DJ Polly D voice, this is the best day of my whole entire life. Like that's in my head what I'm saying. I got flagged. I got my password got locked. Everything got shut down and I couldn't access any of my accounts. And now I'm back in, but I can't like or comment on anyone's shit for t uh, a week. This is what Instagram said. Your account has been temporarily blocked from taking this action. Sharing your account with a service that helps you get more likes or followers goes against our community guidelines. <gasps> all, I was, all I was doing was tagging my new best friends. Yeah. Mike and Polly <laughs> D. That's rude. Yeah. So, I mean, by the time this comes out... I'll probably be free, but it's been a hard time being locked up. You're away at camp? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm in camp right now. I'll write you letters. Other than that, we're here and uh, we're ready to kind of kind of roll with our stories. Joanna, since we have a guest speaking today, Dolly, I vote that Dolly gets to tell us the first story. Okay. 
She's so excited. Prepare for this. So I went original to have the normal format. So you, it's not just going to be a campfire story. It's going to be a guess if it's a true crime or a horror movie. So I love it. I'm, I'm, I'm going OG to the podcast. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you for doing that. That's amazing. Okay. To set the scene, it's the late 1960s and women in a small Midwestern university town um, are living in fear because a suspected serial killer is terrorizing the area. The murderer was targeting young females, often college students, which also gave him the name, the nickname, the co-ed killer, which I ended up coining him the period killer. <laughs> I'll tell you why later. After two years and at least seven victims, the suspect was finally arrested and convicted of only one of the seven murders. Interesting. <gasps> mm -hmm. So the story starts out in July of 1967. A 19-year-old female student named Mary disappeared after a neighbor saw her walking to her apartment. The neighbor calls the police and reports seeing a man in a blue-gray Chevy pull up to the girl twice trying to start a conversation with her. And she shook her, she shakes her head both times saying no. So the neighbor kind of just thought that, you know, he's um, asking for directions. Well, she is, disappears and is never seen alive again. Wow. So the police come in and they're questioning Mary's friends and neighbors. And they come up short of any evidence that's going to help them kind of track her down. Um, they look on campus. They put on, you know, they're looking around off campus um, but remember, it's 1967, so the forensics are lacking, and mm -hmm. communication between different precincts is, you know, null. Not, not <laughs> Think of like the Ted Bundy documentary, right? Mm -hmm. Like they didn't know what was happening across the country with all these different areas that nice were, where girls were dying. Yeah, a full two months later, um, some teenage boys are doing what teenagers do they're creeping around abandoned buildings and Great. like you know i think we all kind of had yeah. like a dream of looking not being scared but wanting to look in abandoned buildings that's a saturday night i actually did that once in florida guys and there was oh. a homeless person sleeping in it <laughs> in an abandoned hotel that's a florida man tale <laughs> it is <laughs> we're putting all the things in this podcast yeah um these boys they walk into this abandoned old farmhouse and what do they find Mary's body, completely nude, and her remains are identified through dental records, and the autopsy shows that she is stabbed 30 times in the chest. Jesus. Wow. And in the her chest? Yeah, 30 in times. The... Holy shit. Homeboy went to town, and her feet and part of um, one of her hands are missing, and she was severely beaten before her death. So due to the decomposition... Um, the, they're not able to tell a lot of other stuff because it had been two months. This is one of the longest amounts of time between victim and body found in out of the seven murders. So she was a carcass? Yes, basically. Yes. That's, that hits weird. Uh-huh. Yeah. Also, trigger warning, there is like sexual assault in Ooh. some of these. So if that is something that is going to bother you, um, please forward after her remains are identified mary's families they start to begin the process of you know preparing funeral arrangements and suddenly at the funeral home some young man arrives and says that he's part of a he's a family friend and he wants to take a picture with her body Ew. and they what? the the people at the funeral home are like no dude like that's not a thing and he's like well, the family asked me to come do that but isn't the family there no 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 this is they're they're you know it's, it's like a two-day process to oh. plan a funeral, you know? Uh -huh. And so they are just contacted what funeral home they want everything to happen in and all that type of stuff. So her body is there and this dude appears. Um, um, and so they tell him no. The people that work at the funeral home contact the family and ask, who's this guy? And they were like, we have no idea. We did not send anybody to come take a picture with her body. Could you imagine, like, I die and Joanna, you're like arranging my funeral and some stranger man you know wants to take a selfie with my fucking selfie? body yeah yeah hold on one second <laughs> um oh, lest right, we Michelle. forget there are no arms oh, oh yeah. yeah so it's, you said decomposed too right yeah a torso oh. carcass yeah mm -hmm. it, this is all right all right okay go real gross yeah. Um, so the, the person is described as a young white male, very handsome, dark hair, and drove a blue-gray Chevy. Uh-oh. 
very again we got handsome young dudes mm. just mm. killing girls um okay so then mary's she is buried and her family you know grieves for her and mourns for her and nothing is really talked about again in town for about a year and so almost a month after the year mark a 20 year old named joan decides to hitchhike to visit her mm. boyfriend spoil alert doesn't go well. <laughs> Joan, never to be seen again. <laughs> she goes missing, and her body this time is found almost a month later. So a little mm. more, you know, evidence this time around. The police can see that she had been raped, and this time he went light. Only stabbed her 25 times in the chest. Are there arms? This time there are, yes. Okay, so he, he did go very light. Then. He did, yes. Oh. He didn't quite... You know, Joan's roommate, when she's when she's questioned, um, she's the one who called the police and and tells them that she saw Joan jump in a car with a person in a blue Chevy, mm. blue gray Chevy. And the description of, of the man matches the description of the guy who visited Mary's body at the funeral home a year later. So are they making connections yet? They are starting to make some connections. Hmm. Will makes more connections with this third person who is now again it's almost like a, a one body and then a year later another body the next year the third body and then it's like rapid fire bodies Ooh. so he took a couple breaks took a breather a hot Spend beat break. maybe did some therapy <laughs> decided <laughs> this isn't for me it's insane so now we're in march of 1969 so we started in june of Nine, or July of 1967. Now we're in March of 1969. And a woman, she's a law student at the university, is named Jane. Oh, my mom. Yeah. She disappears. She was engaged to her boyfriend and was going to travel to go tell her parents about their engagement, you know, and disappears. And her body is found with a garment tied around her neck just like the first two victims, which they did Ugh. not reveal in the first one. So this is starting to be now a pattern, mm -hmm. but we didn't find out about it until the third body, third body. So this is also where it comes into play, why I coined him the period killer, because mm. all three women were menstruating at the time of their death. I feel like he would have been their doctor. Yeah. Yikes. For this huh. reason, police are connecting Jane to Mary and Joan, and, and they're started to use the term serial killer. So, again, this is the before the names Ted Bundy and Jeffrey Dahmer are, like, known because they're in the 70s, right? Now, four days after Jane's body, police find another one. <sighs> and this one is 16, and her name's Marilyn. Can I point something out? Yes. So, Jane, Joan, Marilyn. Mar Mary. And Mary. Yeah. So, two J's and two M's. Yeah. That's a good one. I would I would have missed that one. Mm -hmm. hmm. I'm on commentary. <laughs> <laughs> so at this point the authorities Perfect. are starting to like really getting freaked out so they decide to kind of almost the first of its kind they're trying to they coordinate a task force between at this point now it's five different jurisdictions between where the women lived and where their bodies were found the fuck? so they're all like hey dudes we need to talk and each jurisdiction had 20 police officers on the case so that's Ooh. like a hundred Wow. People trying to figure out what's going on with this, with all these girls dying. Mm -hmm. um, so the university, they also are starting to freak out. There's two universities that are very close to each other. Um, they institute curfews and the, the police are going on a Michelle's themes that we talked about. They're starting to notice that the victims have similar wounds. They always have some type of garment tied around their necks and they're all been menstruating at the time of their death. So weird. So um, the women in town, they are starting to assume that the, the killer is a student um, just because he's young. He's of the age. Everyone keeps saying a young male. Um, I think one witness at some point says like a 22 year old. They're estimating his age. So they start you. The girls start using a buddy system walking around and the sales in both towns, uh, tear gas, knives and security locks skyrocket in both towns of both how universities. Scar how scary must that be? Yeah. I mean, when I went to college in Tampa, Florida, we had around the campus, I lived on campus, and I don't know if you guys had this, there were these 
post with an emergency button on it. Yes. Yeah. They were everywhere. So if you were in trouble, they were really like, they were fucking everywhere. And you could run and press this button and it was immediately contacted to emergency services. This shit is the reason all this is is why it's there. Yeah. Yeah. It's insane. Wait, ours were everywhere, but also like we had huge sprawling lawns. If it's Michael Myers coming, (laughs) you're shit out of luck. (laughs) Well, he's you walking at a slow pace, so you can you can outwalk him. But she trip. It's sad that we have to have that nowadays. Mm-hmm. But this these yeah. fucking assholes in the sixties and seventies are the reason. All right. Yep. Yep. So the police even put out an off a reward for forty two thousand dollars, and so at today's rate, that would be three hundred and twenty two thousand dollars. Holy shit! Which is a ton of money. That is a lot of money for a reward for this guy. So now we're in April of 1969. So two months after Jane disappears, another body's found. This time it's identified as a 13-year-old girl. Oh, that hits close. Yeah. Her name is Dawn and her sweater and other items of clothing are located in, again, an abandoned farmhouse where her body was found. Here's the weird part. So the police are searching the house and they find Mara Lynn's one missing earring. Stop. Yeah. So then now we can connect Marilyn to Dawn's location as well. So that's linking the cases. Then a month later, some neighbor that lives down the road from the farmhouse calls the police and he's like, the farmhouse is on fire. It's an abandoned farmhouse, but he can see it, you know, down the street from him that this house is ablaze. So the the police arrive on site and there are five clipped lilacs laying down in the front yard leading up to the burnt down farmhouse. This One is wild. One for each of the girls that have lost their lives potentially there and burning additional evidence. I'm going to say, burning the evidence. Yeah. Before I go on. Oh, there it is. <laughs> I have this Carmen line. <laughs> I'm going to stop before I give you additional um, details about who the other women are. And you got to guess, is it a true crime or a horror movie? This is great. Okay, so when you started... There's key phrases that I was I picked up on, but and then you were talking about girls menstruating, and I was thinking of Bible John, which Joanna doesn't even know who Bible John is, but I don't even think that fits the story. And then you said the flowers laying at the barn on fire, and now I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Dolly. I don't know. Joanna, you go. I was told Dolly, I'm like, she may know all these stories. So like, <laughs> but you got me here, so you know. Um, I'm going to be team true crime. Okay. I am also true crime. Um, I don't really have any specific reason other than it sounds too good to be a movie. <laughs> no. All right. Carmen all right, will all right. sell you a movie. The flowers laid out. <sighs> Make it seem like it I, could be a movie. I know. I, but yeah. but real people do this fucking shit. I'm going I'm going to just go movie just to go against you two. All right, Dolly, what do you got reveal please we're dying. Okay. So, Joanna and Michelle are correct. Oh, <laughs> it is. Oh, come a on. true crime. So, this happened in Ann Arbor, which is home of University of Michigan, and neighboring town is called Ypsilanti, and it, there is a university there called Eastern Michigan University. They're about 20 minutes apart. Kind of dedicated it, you know, to hometown heroes. <laughs> hometown heroes, yeah. <laughs> but I will say, I, I noticed, and I was going to ask, but you left out the town and the name of the university yes, on purpose. I and did. I did notice that. Because I think, I, I was like, if I say Ann Arbor, they're going to know right away that it's real. and Because there's not very many movies about Michigan towns. Nah. So it, his name was John Chapman. He was born in Windsor, Canada. So just across the river from Detroit. They called him the Ypsilanti Ripper. <gasps> oh, yeah. And Ypsilanti is spelled with a Y. Starts with a Y. So that might be why you might not know that name. This is insane. Can mm-hmm. we nickname him the Ipsy Ripper? Uh, yes. Oh, yes. Thank you. We can. Mm-hmm. And they right. even called him John the Ripper oh, as well. Ooh. Because his name is John. John Chapman. To kind of close out what how this all went down, um, he had two additional victims, a 21-year-old named Alice and an 18-year-old named Karen. On Karen's body, the police finally are able to collect some semen, a semen sample and hair clippings because that from a garment that are that is on her. Uh-huh. 
Karen was reported missing by her roommate after she failed to return home from curfew, after curfew. And she was last seen around noon headed to a wig shop (laughs) downtown, which I think is hilarious. This was Mm -hmm. Karen. Karen, yes. So while investigating Karen's murder, the police thought the description of the man from the clerk um, at the wig shop sounded a lot like John. Not Chapman. John Collins was his name. Sorry. So he had been... His description had kind of been floating around Eastern Michigan and people had kind of been like, it's this dude on a motorcycle, which one of the girls had that had hitchhiked, she hitchhiked on the back of a motorcycle. Mm. So it's all starting to kind of tie together. So while they're investigating uh, John, they learned that several of his former girlfriends reported that he's angry, he's sexually aggressive, and he gets enraged when they were menstruating. <gasps> yes. What the fuck? And he even could said he could tell when women were menstruating because he could smell it from across the room. What are you, a dog? He's like a bloodhound. See, I was going to ask, how did he know they were menstruating? Yeah. Like, that's creepy. His coworkers ratted him out and said that he would not stop talking about all these murders. And he was giving them some, like, super graphic details that, like, that weren't released in the news. And he chalked it up saying that his uncle who was a police officer, had given him the details mm. and like through conversation. Right. But hmm. his uncle denied sharing all of that. So John's uncle, who the police officer, was going out of town and John was kind of like house sitting and staying at the house. And so because he had stayed there after they arrested him, the police were like, well, we're going to search the uncle's house too, like with permission, right? In that search, they find some hair follicles that were his cousin's hairs that they, they had gotten a haircut in the basement oh. before oh they left God. on vacation. So when he brought home one of the girls and like killed her in, in his uncle's <gasps> basement, those his cousin's hair follicles are what they found on Karen's garment. How messed up was it? So it wasn't even his own hair. It was his cousin, little cousin's hair. How messed up is that? But his cousins were like young kids, you know, so they knew it wasn't the cousin doing it. And then a neighbor also said that they had heard muffled screams coming from the house while John was staying there. And I was like, why weren't y'all checking? Uh, Calling the police. That gave me chills. Yeah. While um, Collins is awaiting trial. So he's arrested. Um, While he's awaiting trial, police learn of another victim in California. Her name was Roxy. So they find out that this uh, girl, she's 17 years old, named Roxy. She's murdered in California. And it happens to be at the exact time that John and one of his roommates from Eastern were visiting California. Shot. Traveling. So John goes to trial only for the murder of Karen because they find his semen and his cousin's hair follicles. And they also have the eyewitness from the wig shop clerk. So those are the only three pieces of evidence that they're able to try him on. And none of the other girls, even though the exact like circumstances and patterns, you know, they don't have any evidence to... um to convict him of the other girls. They have his semen, his cousin's hair, and... The clerk's witness report from the wig shop. Oh, my God. Okay. Yeah. That identified him when Karen was at the wig shop and he picked her up there. hmm Yeah. So in August of 1970, we are now three years past when all this started. He's finally convicted of first-degree murder for Karen, and he has life in pres- uh, prison with no possibility of, rep- of parole. And one funny thing is that during the trial, the police realized that most of the victims, shocker guys, resembled Colin's mother. (gasps) Someone had mommy issues. Yep. So he, since the advancements in DNA technology, more evidence has come forward. The DNA on Alice's clothing was found for a positive match. And he still, to this day, continues to deny that he was involved and he has exhausted all of his appeals. So he is still in prison as of today Ooh, in Michigan. Stop. Wow. Yeah. Life without parole. But yeah, he was at the time, he was a student at Eastern Michigan. Ooh. Wow. Mm-hmm. He got, he, well, he got kicked out because of he was stealing. One of my biggest fears is that a place I visited becomes a crime scene and my hair has fallen out and Ooh. I become a victim. Yeah. Or, I mean, I become a um, suspect. There are so many things that I am concerned about just watching all of these documentaries lately. I'm like, I just don't want to get caught up in the wrong place at the wrong time because it that would be it. It really is wrong place, wrong time. And for those poor girls, it was like wrong college, wrong time. Like what the no heck? Kidding. 
Dolly, you killed it. That was amazing. And Thank good job. you. Wait, hold on. I need to give you a proper. <laughs> Yay. You get an applause. <laughs> so campfire stories number two. Joanna, it's down to you and me, bitch. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I'm sorry. It's down to you and me, bestie. Who wa- who wants to go next? Let's rock, paper, scissors this. Rock, One, paper, paper, scissors. Shoot. Okay. I got you. <laughs> yeah, you are clearly behind. I know. But like, since I won, I still don't know what that means. Who goes first? I lost. So I, oh, that's true. We never figured it out. I'll just go. Tis fine. Okay. All right, girlfriend. What do you got, Jojo? So I heard this story on Bobby Bones show and I had to look more into it because when I heard about it, I was like, I wonder how many people have like become a victim of this. Okay. So this is a true story. So no guessing, just sit back and enjoy. Don't read off my screen. Okay. So I have a question for all you ladies, since we all are moms. Yes. Have you ever considered adopting? Yes. No. And for me, Carmen, no. No. Okay. So, Dolly, you and I are on the same page because Jake and I had considered adopting. Things happen, life happened, and just never worked out. So there were a few things that we were worried about if we do adopt. The history of the mother and the father's health. Did the mother take care of herself while she was pregnant? Like so many questions. So another question, have you ever heard of Natalia Barnett. I knew this was where this was going, and I just watched the documentary on <laughs> yeah. Netflix. Okay, so you can correct me if I have any, like... And I also heard about it on the morning show here, on okay. Dave and Chuck the Freak, and they broadcast in Florida. I'm telling this story from the point of the view of the parents, because Natalia has her own story, but I couldn't watch it because nobody has Paramount Plus, or Discovery Plus. Oh, poor Joanna. Okay, so, Natalia Barnett. Michael and Christine Barnett decided to open up their home to a child from Ukraine who was six at the time and was told that she had a disability. The family was told that she was born with a rare genetic disorder. Um, I'm not 100% sure how to pronounce it. It's a form of dwarfism. Yes. And it results in short stature and skeletal anomalies Mm -hmm. that primarily affect the spine and long bones of the arms and legs. The family had three boys at the time, but they were eager to add a little girl to their family. In 2010, the family flew out to an adoption agency in Florida where they adopted Natalia, whisked her and the rest of the family off to Disney. And this was the beginning of the perfect family, right? Yeah. No. Before I tell you the story, I want to give you a little background. Michael and Christine Barnett were married and they were both graduates of Purdue University in what state, Carmen? Oh, shut all i know is they're the boiler makers indiana okay like i said they had the three boys and then when they were ready to adopt they were both financially and emotionally ready to adopt a child with special needs they knew natalia had special needs and they were ready their eldest child jacob had asperger's but he was considered and i quote an academic academic prodigy and according Mm -hmm. to my research and my personal opinion The husband, Michael, was kind of a pompous jerk. In an article, he says, we have 13 TVs, we've got 14 couches, and hundreds of thousands of dollars in our bank account. Agreed. Yeah. Very braggy for a man who thinks, like, they've got this. Also, what do you need 14 couches for? I don't know 14 people. I don't. (laughs) To me, he's thinking no special needs is going to tear this family apart. And you know what this is? They call this foreshadowing. Can I add a couple things in here? So just 
real quick to set the record straight, with the oldest son that is the genius, they were on a number of different talk shows all over the news. The mom wrote a book. So they were in the media, in the spotlight for something great. Before the adoption. Correct. Did not know that. So anyways, like I said, the new family was off at Disney starting a new life and they were so excited. So they get home, get settled in, and Christine told Natalia she was going to give her a bath, which wouldn't be very normal because she's a six-year-old little girl with special needs. So it wasn't odd for her to do this. Well, when Natalia got into the bath, Christine noticed... What? Wait for it. Pubic hair on a six-year-old. This confirms that I know where this fucking story is going. Yeah. And not long after, Natalia started her period. (gasps) Yes. And this child is supposed to be six. Six. Oh, my goodness. Parents sought out a support group uh, of parents who shared the same dwarfism as their daughter. But something wasn't sitting right with Michael. At a play date, Michael noticed that Natalia was acting much older, even though both girls were six years old. He even insisted that Natalia notice this herself and started to act more like a six-year-old. Oh. Yeah. But this doesn't seem to help. Natalia cannot keep any friends, and this upsets her parents because they don't want her to be alone in the world, in this world, and they were hoping she'd be able to have at least one friend she could relate to. Because I can only imagine, like, having, you know, a set, kind of a setback like this and not being able to keep any friends, like... Who's your support? Yeah, you have such a rare disorder in the world that trying to, you know, find somebody else that shares that with you and then you can't keep a friend. Mm -hmm. Soon the family starts uh, to question the real age of Natalia. She seems much more mature than the average six-year-old, even with her disability. She can carry on a full conversation and her face isn't one of a Mm six-year-old. However, her age isn't the biggest concern for the Barnetts. According to this article that I read, and I say this may, be, may or may not be true, you'll find out at the end why, the Barnett said the older Natalia got, the worse the behavior came, or, uh, the, or the worse the behavior got, or they claimed she threatened them with knives, defecated and urinated on and terrorized their youngest son. Oh yeah. my gosh. Defecated and urinated. So now Carmen and I, we have expressed how we feel about defending our kids in situations like this, like where, mm-hmm. not like this, like this, but like, what would you do in the situation? You adopt a child who is now physically harming your other child. Yeah, that would be really difficult because I totally understand the mama bear aspect of yeah. sticking up for your children. But like, they're both but, your kids and like, what do you do? They're both your kids. Yeah. They adopted no. her. Is she, they're not fostering her at this point. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I know that there's laws in place to protect parents when things like this happen. And it's probably because of this fucking Natalia. Could be. <sighs> well, it doesn't stop there. She also made attempts on the parents' lives. Allegedly, she drugged <gasps> Christine's coffee <gasps> and dragged her to an electric fence. What? Which I don't even know if I b- truly believe that. Yeah. They said that there was witnesses and they said... It's not that bad. It wasn't that bad. But the family still called 911, and Natalia ended up in a mental hospital. Her stay was short-lived because she reportedly (laughs) propositioned the male patients. Yes. What? Yeah. She sure did because she's not six years old. Right. What six-year-old does that? No six-year-old. Okay, so now if this story isn't wild enough, there's still more. It just keeps going. It's crazy. Yeah, I'm listening. Christine was not happy with how her family was falling apart, and she clearly blamed it on Natalia. So as a punishment, she would force Natalia to stand at the wall for hours, which caused her to soil herself. And this makes me sad. And she would make her sleep outside. Oh, my God. I feel like there's a step between protecting your child and making the other child sleep outside. There's other options that I'm sure they could have had. Thankfully, a neighbor called social services And after taking in all the information, a detective told them to go to the courts and have Natalia's age reassessed. Uh And this was in 2012. And I have no idea how the judge uh, decided this, but they changed her birth year from 2003 
<laughs> it's a 1989. Oh. Holy shit. First of all, I didn't even know you could reassess or whatever the word is. Yep. But I they did explain that on the show I watched that in certain adoption cases, they will do that because they didn't have enough information from the biological mother. So she's 34 right now, like right now in the year 2023. Just Damn, crazy. and this was 2012, so she was 23. 21. Was tw- okay. 21 yep. at the time. Oh Natalia is a legal adult. The Barnetts no longer supported her, but they mm-hmm. knew they couldn't just drop her or kick her to the curb, so they set up an apartment, and Christine would drop off groceries. At first, everyone was nice to Natalia, but soon they changed their tune. Natalia would harass the neighbors and would make their lives uncomfortable and unpleasant. It got so bad that the Barnetts had to move her out of the apartment. But Christine picked a new apartment in a part of town that was considered white trash, and no one would even bat an eye at Natalia's behavior. Oh my gosh! So Christine and Michael were charged with negligence because of her dwarfism, and not mm-hmm. and not a surprise, but in 2013, they filed for divorce. Oh. Michael said that Christine was not a good mother. Christine refused to comment on the docuseries, both were found not guilty of the three charges of neglect of an of a dependent. Now, I'm not sure where your feelings are for Natalia, but when I first heard about the story, I was on the fence. Did the adoption agency set up the family? Did they really know the age of Natalia? Did they force her to go along with it? Well, during court, Natalia did get to testify, and she said that the family that took her in at the second apartment, I'm sorry, I forgot to say, at the second apartment, the white trash apartment, a a family kind of took her in and took care of her. The family that took her in at the second apartment taught her how to care for herself, bathe herself, and how to read. All things the Barnetts did not do. And in 19, or 19, 2019, Natalia goes on Dr. Phil and claims that she is not the scam artist that she was being portrayed as. On the show, she was joined with the couple that took her in, and the woman even claimed that Natalia never even had a period. What? Yeah. Natalia denies everything that the Barnett said. So the question is, like, who do you believe, Natalia or the Barnetts? And here's my issue. How does a 21-year-old not know she's being adopted as a six-year-old? Well, there's so much just having watched the show, and I don't know if you want me to comment on that or not, but um, let me just say from... Hearing the story and then watching the docuseries, I definitely started as this Natalia is insane, Mm -hmm. crazy. And then as we watched the show, I completely flipped. Mm -hmm. I think it was the parents for sure. There was a couple things that like the dad, like I know, like I saw part of a snippet of the dad being like so angry, like screaming and like pounding his fist on the ground and saying that. Natalia would stand at the foot of their bed with a knife. Mm-hmm. Um, they explain all that, though, yeah. as to why, in a sense, she would do that. Dramatic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, great actor, very dramatic, bawling, smiling, laughing, all in like two Just seconds. Everything yeah. very big. Yes. He's, at the end of the show, I was like, I cannot handle this guy mm-hmm. anymore. It's really interesting. I recommend all of you watch. Yes. So the two, a couple more things. Natalia is said to not know what happened to her and that she's hearing all these things that Christine and Michael are saying about her and none of it's true. And she was upset because she hasn't told her side. This is just their side of the story. So in, in October 2022, Natalia testified saying, I wanted to be with the Barnetts. I wanted to live with them. And she doesn't understand why they made her move out. In her docuseries, Natalia speaks out about the accusations against her. And she says it's very frustrating the way she's being portrayed. And the docuseries is called The Curious Case of Natalia Grace. And the one for her side is The Curious Case of Natalia Grace, Natalia Speaks Out. Ooh, wow. Is that, that is super disturbing. Yeah, the pictures, like, she definitely, you can see, like, she's kind of hunched over. Like, she, mm-hmm. like her arms and limbs are not straightened. And they said, like, the, the longer they had her, like, she's not changing. She stayed the same. So, I don't know. I remember okay. on the show, because their older son has autism and Asperger's, they started yeah. doing a lot with other kids that had the autism. So, then mm-hmm. they wanted to adopt a little girl with special needs. I haven't watched it yet, but I've kn- I've read about it, and then, I mean, like that movie Orphan. Oh, I've I've heard of it. I don't think I've seen it. It's the same exact 
not the same exact. It's the same story, but that came out in 2009. But that supposedly is based off of this has happened before. It's supposedly based off of a story prior to 20 or 2009 where a child was adopted, same thing from Norway and thought to be, you know, a young child and come to find out it was a full-grown adult with a lot of the same things. And then that movie Orphan came out in 2000, I think 2009. And then this story came out when you said, and then the movie Orphan had a sequel. So it's like all just, oh, Mm -hmm. it's so freaky. It's so freaky. It's just someone assuming an identity in your home that is not true that I think that messes with you. Like what did the orphanage say? Yeah. Were they hiding it? Who was really hiding it here? It's they very said strange. they went over to Ukraine and they, I think they talked to the mother. They did. They finally talked to the birth mother. And I will say too, the orphanage was very shady. Hmm. And there was a couple red flags that I had mentioned while my husband and I were watching the show, but they had got a call. You know, they had looked into this um adoption for a while there was at least another adoption that maybe almost went through and then they got a call and it was we have this girl that you can adopt we need to know within 24 hours you have to fly down to florida i mean oh who says make a decision on adopting a child in 24 hours i can make a decision on adopting a dog in 24 (laughs) hours yeah that's kind of iffy All right. That was a good one, Joanna. So here is my mini story for you. It is not a guessing game. It's just straight facts or allegedly, as we say. Today, I am going to tell you about the time a Japanese airline cargo flight 1628 had a little UFO incident, as they call it. Oh, I love UFO stories. (laughs) November 17th, 1986. The plane was traveling from Paris to Narita International Airport near Tokyo, carrying a cargo of, mm-hmm, this is a type of wine, Beaujolais. Mm, sounds great. Beaujolais. Forgive me if I say the brand name wrong. Um, they were carrying a cargo of wine, so come to my house, please, when two unidentified objects were spotted near them in the air. While flying over eastern Alaska, the crew witnessed UFOs on the left of the plane abruptly rising from below and flying very close to the aircraft. That's spooky. This is what's fucking weird. The UFOs were flying in sync with the plane, matching flight path and speed. Exactly. So if the plane veered right, the unidentified flying objects veered right. If the plane Went higher, lower, everything, it matched it perfectly. Ew. (laughs) Ew, it's weird. This went on for about seven minutes until they flew in front of the airplane, kind of stacking on top of each other now. This caused them to suddenly become dazzlingly bright and maintain speed with the airplane exactly. So think about your this little pilot flying your aircraft with a whole fucking shit ton of wine and you see these weird ass UFOs on the side and then they speed up in front of you, stack on top of each other and start glowing really brightly. Wait, is this is there passengers? Is it just the pilot and like a co-pilot? It's a pilot and his crew. It's a cargo plane, so they're carrying... A decent-sized plane, okay. Right. The captain of the airplane, Captain Tarachi, excuse me if I say that wrong because it's a Japanese name, Taruchi, Tarachi, described this as a disregard for inertia. And here's a quote from the actual captain. He says, The thing was flying as if there was no such thing as gravity. It sped up, then stopped, then flew at our speed in our direction so that to us it appeared to be standing still. The next instant, it changed course. In other words, the flying object had overcome gravity, end quote. Each UFO had two rectangular sections of glowing thrusters, and when close to the airplane, the cabin inside the airplane was lit up, and the captain says that he could feel the heat from the UFOs through the plane onto his face. Ew. It's like he was in a tanning booth all of a sudden. (laughs) I know. He should have put on his SPF. This is about when they notified air traffic control in Anchorage. They could not confirm any air traffic other than the airplane. They said, all we detect is you. Well, no radar from land. I'll say that. But the plane is recording radar that does pick up this shit. Stop. 
When these two crafts left, so they departed, a third larger one appeared. It was disc-shaped and started trailing them. Anchorage Air Traffic Control at this time requested an oncoming United States Airlines flight that was kind of flying like in the area to confirm unidentified air traffic. So they call up their buddies like, hey, my (laughs) dude, can you just like drive by and see if you see some shit happening with this Japanese plane? But when they and as well as a military craft spotted the Japanese plane, there was nothing else in the sky, according to them. Wild. Then about an hour later, flight JAL-1628 landed safely in Alaska. But that's not the end of the story. So after this incident, Captain Taruchi said in an official Federal Aviation Administration report that he witnessed a UFO. After, he also spoke to the press. Well, his boss was pissed about this. He was grounded. Yeah, it's not like go to your room. It's like go to a fucking desk for two years. It's pretty much what happened to him. It took years for him to get back in the air as a pilot. But what's more interesting is what happened immediately after this incident. It is claimed by author Timothy Good that there was a meeting attended by the FBI, CIA, and President Reagan's scientific study team, which allegedly concluded that this data represents the first instance of recorded radar UFO data. So they took the recording from when the captain called the air traffic control in Anchorage, and they combined it with his radar data from the actual plane and created a tape from it. So they took all that, proving that there were objects in the sky from the airplane, or I'm sorry, near the airplane. And the group of officials that met, they say that this never happened. There was no meeting and there are no tapes. It's a cover up. And that's the end of that. Well, that's, that's it. That's where it ends. That's it. That's all I got. What year was that? 1986 in December. So to end, my question for you guys is, what do you believe? What do you guys think? Definitely think uh, UFOs and aliens are real and they are here. Yeah? Uh, yeah. Also known as UAPs, Unidentified oh. Aerial Phenomena. That's like the new lingo uh, uh-huh. for those of us in the know. <laughs> but... um. Would you like the mic? <laughs> My husband and I watch a lot of uh, UFO documentaries. So to continue, Michelle, if you think that they're really here, which I'm not arguing with you, I'm just interested in your opinion. Why do you think that they would be here? I don't know why they're here. I definitely think there has been so many reports lately and the government is finally recognizing it to an extent. Have you seen any of the videos on the Tic Tac, hmm. which is very similar, but it was government pilots. So in the Air Force mm-hmm. and they same thing where something came up and there was no sense of propulsion. Like you can't see anything. There's no heat signature on the radar. And I forget like all the technical terms, but it can come up so fast and drop so fast and make these sharp right and left turns that is just not physically possible with g-force and physics and all that based on what we Mm -hmm. know as as humans yes but they have video of this they call the tic tac because it looks like a little Mm -hmm. white tic tac Mm -hmm. oh i know what you're talking about i have heard about this yes and this is a thing where there's audio of the pilots yeah. talking about it and they're like bro what is that in the what, like, is what it? the fuck is that and they're doing yeah. just they're just doing like drills um, or drills something out over the water yeah right? yeah i mean you can clearly see this thing mm-hmm. and it just takes off and and they um they give the explanation on how fast or the g-force or whatever the terms are that it would take for a plane or um a an aircraft UAP to do that an aircraft yeah. yeah and we don't have that technology for it no i mean i think they've been here all along and i think we're just starting to uh uncover more and more you know mm. i did have a black light poster of an alien when oh i was my a gosh. child and you had that t-shirt of all the alien moods do you remember that <laughs> i would say just dumbing down for my belief i would say yes i do believe but um just for the very basic fact that I just 
if the universe is so big and I can't believe that we're the only ones here. Exactly. <laughs> so why they're here, why they're flying by, I have no idea. Right. If they're interested in us or not, and we're just a flight path to something else. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But I just have a hard time believing it's just us. Also agree. Mm-hmm. Out of all of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so I support that. Joanna, yeah. what about you? I feel like I've already shared my opinions. When you Share it again. Ask. What was the last one about the camping with the guys camping? Yeah, that w- I never fully said that that's actually called the Allagash incident. So, hey, Allagash incident. But yeah, what about that? What did you say? I think there are things living amongst us that are not meant to be here. Mm. And they are, I don't know, gathering information. Who knows? Who knows? And I don't want to be physically seen or see one thing. <laughs> just went out there. Like, what was that movie with uh, Mel Gibson? Signs. And they were and they're walking down the streets. Oh, signs. Uh, D.B. Sweeney was in uh, Close Encounters of the Fourth Kind or whatever it is where he claims, and this was based on a true story, that he claims that he was abducted and then brought back and doesn't remember anything and his friends don't know where Jeez. he went. And very interesting. What's interesting about signs is that the aliens were harmed by something so by water. Water, right. What about you, Carmen? Okay, so you know how currently our SpaceX or whatever, NASA, whatever, is has been has been or is sending kits to Mars years prior to hopefully them landing on Mars. So there's apparently materials on Mars now that will sustain a astronaut when they land there in the future life-sustaining there's materials you know water mm-hmm. food all the things that they need they send it early years early so it makes me think aliens they could have like kits that they delivered to our planet thousands of years ago and periodically they visit us i mean how the fuck did the pyramids get built let's just i don't know how do planes fly <laughs> I know. how do they build bridges underwater like how are uh, so many unanswered questions. Yeah, this technology <laughs> freaks me out. And if you watch Ancient Aliens on freaking the History Channel, it's Stop. just come on. I love that you know that. We watch that every night and basically fall asleep to it because it's just it's great. You know, it is pretty crazy. Yeah. I was telling Brett <laughs> not that long ago how aliens built the pyramids. And Mm -hmm. there's things under the pyramids that help sonar the aliens. And he says to me, you're telling me the plot of Predator. And I was like, no, (laughs) you're lying. And then he made me watch Predator. And I was like, oh, shit, it is the plot of Predator. So who the (laughs) fuck knows? Who knows? I don't know. That's really funny. Did anyone else have any last final words before we come to a close? I ran out of mental capacity to actually prepare a story. But now that I have a little more of a taste of this, I am on board. She's like, Michelle, Dude. your commentary has been top tier and I appreciate it. Thank you. It has I appreciate been. it. You Dolly, your story was so good. Thank you thank for that. You. Oh, thank you. I'm uncomfortable, but impressed at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Joanna, as always, you're the best co-host in the world. Our lovely JoJo. Bye, We love Joanne. <laughs> <laughs> All yeah. the nicknames are coming out. <laughs> but what about the stories? I need the stories. We, okay, can you at least pause it? <laughs> no. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode. We'll see you next time for our typical format. Thanks, guys. Bye. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.